Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sara Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. to the show and today my guest is the fabulous Eric Edmeads. Eric is the founder of the highly effective health transformation company Wildfit and he is also widely regarded as one of the most interesting and entertaining speakers in the world. Eric has been visiting, living with and studying the Hasta people, some of the last hunter-gatherer people on earth for over 10 years and really enjoys sharing their insights into health, relationships and parenting. I've known Eric for many years. He is a dear friend of mine and that's why I've invited him to come back onto the show once again to talk about his insights this time into health and well-being and his phenomenal company, Wildfit. So I am super excited to welcome the fabulous Eric Edmeads to the show. Welcome, Eric. Hey, so glad to be here. Nice to see you. Oh, it's great to see you as always. Now, we've been friends for many, many years. I can't even remember how many years. So I'm just really chuffed every time I get to speak to you. You are one of the most entertaining speakers that I know. So I know my listeners are in for a treat today. So first of all, let's get started finding out a bit more about you for those of people that don't know about you and Wildfit. Tell us what it is that Wildfit really does, Eric, and how did you come to set it up? Well, let's start with what it doesn't do or what it isn't. Um, what doesn't work is diets. They don't work. If they did work, there wouldn't be a multi-hundred million dollar industry because somebody would have solved the problem and that would be over. But what, what we don't do is give people a bunch of ridiculous rules and deny them a bunch of pleasures and ask them to starve themselves and force them to do a bunch of exercise they don't want to do. We don't do any of those things. What we do is combine two very, very powerful factors. One is really solid nutritional anthropology. That is to say, good information about what humans really need for their nutrition. But then we add to that the piece that makes all the difference. And that is something that you might really call food psychology. We help people actually change their behavior. This is a big deal because at the end of the day, if somebody wants to eat ice cream, they're going to eat it. If we don't help them to stop wanting it, they're just going to keep eating it. And, and yeah, they could use willpower, you know, for a few hours or days, or in some case minutes or maybe weeks, but you know, willpower is a, is not a long-term uh, change strategy. Willpower is something you can use. You know, the best way I think about willpower, is like holding your breath. You use willpower to hold your breath. You can hold your breath and you can use willpower not to breathe, but there's going to come a moment where your body takes over. Your body says, no, 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 no. You've got to breathe. You could be 15 feet underwater holding your breath and your body will still force you to breathe because it's trying to save your life. Logic no longer applies. Well, willpower with food kind of works the same way. If you use willpower to not eat the food, then eventually your body's just going to take over. And guess what? You're going to find yourself up at two o'clock in the morning, stuffing your face with something or pulling into the drive-through or whatever the case might be. And so what we've done is combined really solid nutrition with really solid uh, uh, food psychology to help people actually change their behavior. So we don't believe in dieting. We believe in lifestyle change. 
Well, I think that's great. I mean, I love going on a detox at the beginning of the year. And when we're recording this right now, it's January, we're coming up the detox time. And I guess a lot of people are thinking, how do I shift it? And maybe they want to shift the weight, or maybe it's more of a health thing, getting more energy. But I guess, you know, the, the wanting to shift the weight and actually having the motivation to go and do something like this, it can be quite daunting, can't it? So how do people get motivated to do this? How do they get started? The, the real challenge is that people have lost faith. It doesn't really matter what somebody wants to do. If they don't have faith and they, if they don't feel a sense of progress, they won't stick with it. So if somebody's trying to learn how to play the piano and they don't believe that they can, and after three or four lessons, they don't feel like they've made any progress, they're not going to continue. That's just how it is. On the other hand, if, for example, the instructor shows them study after study after study or case after case after case of somebody who in a short period of time managed to get proficient and managed to get to a place where they could play the piano, then the faith gets improved. And like, oh, maybe I'm willing to, maybe I can give that a go. Maybe I could try that. But then the next part is, is that the, the progress needs to be measured. And so this is a tough part. Maybe you remember the karate kid with wax on, wax off. And the trouble was that little Ralph Macchio didn't feel like he was making any progress because all he was doing was waxing the car and painting the fence. But the truth was, is that the progress was almost like under the surface. It was subliminal. He didn't know the progress he was making. And so as a really good coach or trainer in any area, what we want to do is have a way of demonstrating that progress. Well, how did, I know many people maybe didn't see the movie, but Mr. Miyagi, our our karate instructor, how did he do it? Well, once the student got frustrated enough, he said, block this punch, but, but do it by wax on, wax off. In other words, suddenly in a moment, the student was able to see that the progress really worked, that the progress made sense. So we have this concept in WildFit called the zero point. And the zero point is where a food is no longer tugging at you. Here's what I mean. It's like, well, think of a bird, a bird standing on the, on the ground and it wants to fly. So it starts to run, it, it flaps its wings, it starts gaining, it starts gaining, but it's working really hard, it's working really hard, but there will come this point where the bird can just coast, you know, can just glide, can ride on thermals even. And, and in a very real sense, people go through something similar to that with, with diets. They, they, they flap their wings trying to break free of some food for a while, but then pretty soon they're in a nosedive again. Whereas if you can get them to the zero point where you can get them to the point where they walk into a room where maybe they used to have a problem with cookies and donuts at the office, where they walk into a room and they don't even see the cookies and donuts, or they see them and don't see them as food and don't hear that little voice of, oh, look, there's cookies and donuts. The point that that doesn't even pull on them anymore is called the zero point. And what we really want to do is help people to get to that place. And that, that changes everything because if somebody doesn't want it anymore, they don't need to use willpower and there's no longer effort involved. They've literally changed their lifestyle. So I understand that you can't tell us everything right now, but give us an insight into how, how that happens. How does that work? I'm sure lots of people listening are going, I want to know how to do that. So yeah, the, the, the trouble with this type of thing is that telling is not ever as good as experiencing. It's that's the real hard part, you know, and but I, I'm going to give you an example and I'm going to try and do it in a way that can give you the experience of it in a sense. But so one of the one of the weird things about humans is that our reward systems are a little out of date. Our, our reward systems were really designed for more of a hunter gatherer lifestyle. And so now we're living in a world where 
a lot of the things that our bodies reward us for are dysfunctional behaviors. Um, I've spent a huge amount of time with the Hadza people in, in East Africa over the last 10 years. And these are hunter-gatherer peoples. They don't have money. They don't have houses. They, they move with the water in the game. They, they live what we would, I guess what's fair to assume is the closest approximation to the, uh, the vast majority of human history. And, and, and what's crazy is, is that their, their pleasure systems work for their environment. Everything that gives them pleasure improves their odds of success, survival, and, and procreation, everything. Now, we're in a weird world where social media is playing with our reward systems and food companies are playing with our reward systems. So we can quite literally eat a bunch of foods that make us feel good but damage us. And this is a very interesting challenge. So let, let's do a little thought experiment. Actually, Sara, let's do it with you. You have you know, comparatively an incredibly functional uh, diet and, and you work out well and what have you. I'm gonna guess though, that there are some foods that at times potentially during emotional stress or what have you, that those foods occasionally have some power over you. Is there anything like that? Yes, there is, yes. So like, give me an example, <laughs> so if you don't mind. No, I don't mind. I have one thing that will get me every time. And my mom insists on buying them for my son. <laughs> so they're in my house because I don't buy this stuff. Uh, chocolate buttons, Capri's chocolate buttons. Oh, the chocolate buttons. You know, yeah, I know them. I know them quite well. And, you know, and, and it, it doesn't matter how logically you tell yourself that it's the worst kind of sugar, that it's a low quality garbage type of chocolate, and that it's full of the worst possible dairy milks and stuff in it so you, you can logically know all that about it but no way it's going to be there and by the way think about this your mother is basically a drug dealer right <laughs> like your mother, and she's working on getting santi hooked right now she's already working on it and and you're like the for evil to win all that has to happen is for good mothers to do nothing and you're letting the child i'm now i'm i'm joking around a little bit i'm just I'm doing all that because the next time you see them in the cupboard, I want you to see them for what they are. But, but let's just back up for a minute. Let's say you're having an off day, you know, and by the way, off days are a very normal part of life. If you didn't have the off days, you wouldn't appreciate the on days. We all know that, but the off days come along. And then the question is, how do we cope with the off days? And a lot of people will turn to um, various forms of what you might call drugs. And that could be television, video games, social media, food, or actual drugs, alcohol, and what have you. So in this case, we're talking about the chocolate button. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you've had, you know, the technical term might be a shite day. That you've had that day, right? It's not good. The emotions are kind of, you know, and, and suddenly a thought pops into your head. There's chocolate buttons in the cupboard. Now, my question for you is, when do you start to feel better? Do you feel better as soon as you have that thought? Do you feel better after you decide to eat them? Do you feel better when you've opened the package? Do you feel better when you put one in your mouth? Or do you feel better after you've eaten them? When do you start to feel better? I don't know that I do. I mean, I know when I've eaten them, I think, oh, and then I put them straight in the bin so I don't finish them. But that's, yeah, I, I never feel great about it. Okay, now hold on. I don't think that's totally true, but that's the part of the process here. The trouble is, is that that timeline is incredibly short. You're feeling crap. You realize there's the buttons. You walk to the cupboard. You open the cupboard. You pick up the package. You tear it open, or it was open. Then you take out a little button, and they're so smooth. Maybe they're in the fridge even, a little cold. You know, but now here's the thing. All of that happens so very quickly, and it happens unconsciously. You, you don't even really think a great deal about it, probably. But I just want to just pause time for a moment. 
you're not feeling good and suddenly you remember there are chocolate buttons in the cupboard. How do you feel with that memory? Ooh, there's chocolate buttons in the oven. <laughs> so you do feel fantastic. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's one of the most important things you could ever learn about food psychology. This is proof that it is not the substance that makes you feel good. It is the memory. You see now what's happening is, is that, and this is, Ooh, this is so important that. to understand. You are feeling not good, which means you probably have some cortisol in your system. You're feeling maybe low-grade depression, maybe even more. Then all of a sudden you think, oh, oh, right? It's like that. Oh, yeah. There's chocolate Ooh. buttons. And I have goosebumps just pretending that I care about the chocolate buttons. But in that moment that you go, oh, chocolate buttons, in that moment, your body starts producing serotonin and dopamine you start feeling good. You haven't even smelled them yet. You're feeling good because of the idea of them. But this is a problem. And this is a problem the food industry loves because you see now with serotonin and dopamine in your system, the whole world is a little brighter, just a little. And, and now your nervous system starts to deal with things differently. There are, for example, foods that taste better when you've got drugs in your system. You now have drugs in your system. So with those drugs in your system, you walk toward the cupboard. And let's be honest, you walk toward the cupboard with a slightly higher bounce in your step than you had before you had the thought, right? Because you've got serotonin and dopamine. And you open the cupboard and there might even be this voice in the back of your head going, Sarah, don't do it. Don't do it. There might even be that going on, but at this point, no way you're in. And then you tear open the package and the feelings are getting higher and higher and higher. And now you put one in your mouth, but here's the thing. It's going to taste better than it really does because you have dopamine and serotonin in your system. So it's actually going to taste better than it really tastes. And that's part of the problem. Then you're going to get a bunch of sugar and caffeine in your system, which is going to stimulate more dopamine and more serotonin. And so you're going to get a little bit of a spike. And it's only going to be half an hour to 40 minutes later that you're going to feel crap again. And here's the trouble. And this is what I'm about to talk about is great advice when it comes to food, marriages, and parenting. And that is delayed consequences don't work. They just don't. If you grab your dog and you rub your dog's nose in the poop on the carpet and say you're a bad dog, the dog's thinking, what the hell? Somebody pooped in the carpet and you're rubbing my nose in it because it's so long ago that the consequence isn't related to the behavior. So the trouble is, is that, again, go through the cycle, feeling crap, realize you've got the chocolate buttons, feel good even though you haven't eaten one yet. With the feel-good chemicals, eat one. Make it taste better than it really does. Now get another spike of positive chemicals because of the sugar, caffeine, and what have you, and fat. Then half an hour later, you feel a bit crap emotionally because you feel like you shouldn't have done it and physically because it's making you feel like crap. But the delay, the delay of the consequence means no lesson is ever learned. Now, what's crazy is, Sarah, I bet you, I'll bet you, honestly, that the next time you go through that cycle, it will slow down and you will have an increased consciousness about it. And you might suddenly find the voice in your back, your head is more empowered. So here's what might happen. You might find yourself feeling a little low. You might find yourself remembering that there's chocolate buttons. You might get a little spike and then you might go, oh my God, that's that spike that Eric was talking about. But you're still going to walk toward the cupboard. But the voice in your back, your head's going, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Eric told you what's really going on here. We don't have to do this. And you're like, yeah, but I don't feel very good. And then the dialogue will begin.
you will open the package. And at that point in time, you will choose which universe you want to live in. And you'll choose in that moment, do you want to live in the universe where you eat chocolate buttons as a drug to cure, you know, upset or depression, or do you want to find a better way? And in that moment, all I've done is given you a moment of consciousness. And I'll bet you, you may eat the buttons, but I'll bet you think about it. And that's one example of how we guide people through the process to increase their consciousness on their decisions. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm going to be, I don't have any in the house at the moment, but if next time my mom visits, I'll be like, aha, I've got this. There <laughs> okay. you go. I mean, I, I think a lot of people listening will really relate to what you're talking about there. And I think a lot of the times when you're going through a breakup or you're going through a divorce, and I know you've been through a, your own divorce, Eric, not so, I mean, pretty recently, right? So yeah. Yeah, I, a lot of people, and I see them in my clinic and they message me, you know, they, they lean on food or drink as a crutch to get them through because it, it distracts, doesn't it? It distracts, yeah. it takes away from the pain. Um, I, I mean, I went on the divorce diet when I went through my divorce where I didn't eat anything. So I think there's extremes, aren't there? Sometimes you, you can't stop eating and you're eating the wrong foods and other times you're just not eating anything. Can you explain a little bit about how people can maybe take some of their power back with those challenges? I, I think um, it, it, what's really important to remember is that the level of stress that somebody goes through when they're going through a divorce, even a fairly amicable divorce, um, is very similar to the level of stress that somebody goes through when they lose a loved one to death. It's, it's, it's biochemically a very similar experience. It's incredibly stressful. And, and, and I'm going to say this, you know, which may sound a little bit sexist, but I'm going to say this, that it's hard on men and women in very different ways and in very different timing. I think you've probably witnessed this many times in your, in your business and in your coaching and your coaches have probably seen this is that men often approach the process initially with some level of ambivalence but they melt down weeks or months later when the woman starts dating somebody. They, they, it's, it's like they're all cool about it until she starts dating. And then they do crazy shit like deflate air out of tires and key. I mean, they, they, they go crazy. Um, women tend to go, go through their crazy phase immediately. They, they tend to go through it immediately. Like if one of you walks out the door, then that is where the crazy phase begins. And this is why I think it begins there is because this version of life that we're living now is not reflective of 99.999% of history. This is a small glimpse of time, this modern lifestyle that we have. But here's what's crazy. In this modern lifestyle, a woman can divorce and still be alive. But for most of human history, if a woman lost her husband, either because he found somebody else or because he died, the chances of her survival dropped dramatically and the chances of her quality of life degrading was not, it was almost perfect. There was, your life would degrade almost perfectly, which is why Scottish widows invented life insurance for that type of thing. And, and legislation came along. And these are all things that are in recent history before that for millions of years, losing your primary mate meant possibly death and definitely degradation of quality of life. And so now what happens for a lot of women is their DNA remembers that. So they're like, they're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Even though the guy might've been a total jerk, she knows it's exactly the right thing. Maybe he was even abusive. And this, by the way, is why very often women will stay in an abusive relationship because at an instinct level, the abuse is safer than the death of being alone. But that's not true anymore. It's just that their DNA thinks of it that way. So now think about this. 
if a woman 100,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 200 years ago, lost her husband, what was likely going to happen to her food supply? Major problems. Because for most of history, the men have been out there doing the hunting. Yes, women do lots of gathering and stuff, but suddenly she's going to be missing one of the most important macros of her life. And then even in more modern times, women were typically not the breadwinners in the family. So the men were out there working. Suddenly the man's gone. And what goes missing? Food. Food goes missing. And so guess what? Today, a woman goes through a divorce and what does she want to do? Eat phenomenal amounts of food because guess what? We don't know when the next meal is coming. Now, logically, none of this is true, but there's very little logical that happens in a divorce, right? It's all heavily emotional. And so very often what will happen at that point is that people, men do it as well, but women more typically will turn to food and because of the emotional security that comes from it. Their parents taught them that chocolate equals love. They're, they're, the, you know, their parents taught them that, that this particular food helps with physical pain because they fell down and skinned their knee and then they were given a cookie or they were playing sports and the coach took them for pizza on the day they lost to try to help them. All through our lives, people have been teaching us that food is an anesthetic. Add to that the genetic oh my god i better eat because god knows and suddenly women eat themselves into oblivion often when they come out of divorce sometimes hearing this is enough for them to go oh my god i'm not doing that are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce are you feeling devastated heartbroken sad and anxious if so please know that you are not alone and there is help available Sarah Davison, best known as the Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup, take back your control, and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one -one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. The trouble is, is that the food industry knows this stuff and the food industry is constantly and continually marketing convenience, marketing calories, marketing. They're doing everything they can to get us to eat their products. And so this is the challenge. We have to overcome what's going on in ourselves emotionally, and then we have to fight back against the food industry. Yeah, absolutely. Everything you're saying is so true. And I think, you know, a lot of people listening to this will resonate with that. And food can become the crutch, but also alcohol, right? I mean, people think, oh, I'll just have a glass of wine. But then that one glass of wine becomes two glasses of wine. And then before you know it, you're drinking a lot. And then that has the impact the next day. But it's, it's a circle, isn't it? And it's easy to get sucked into that. How many people do you know have been, you know, having a serious hangover, maybe vomiting, headaches, or what have you, and they've promised, if only I could feel a little better, I'll never drink again. And then you see them out the next weekend. You know, it's it, the trouble is, is that humans are not good at delayed consequence. We're just not. It, think about this. Let's imagine you've got a, a group of friends going out for drinks and we, you know that like four or five of them are going to overdrink and be hung over the next day when they do it all the time. And the delayed consequence doesn't seem to work on them. 
But imagine that if life was very different, that the second shot of tequila simply made you vomit. <laughs> like you would never do that. You would never, if you, what if, what if the second shot of tequila just gave you a headache right that moment? Ah, you would never do that again. But because the, the delay is eight or 10 hours later, we aren't. And by the way, I think this is a very powerful principle in parenting, because if you think you can punish your children for shit they did two days ago, good luck. It's, yeah, like, yeah, no, you can, but the best way to train anybody, your, your, your husband, your wife, your children, your pets, is to catch the stuff as close as possible. And so when, when we're working with food with this, what we're trying to do is improve people's consciousness so that they shorten that consequence timeline. What happened in my case with alcohol, funny you mentioned alcohol, is 30 years ago last month, I got drunk enough that I woke up with a hangover and I was vomiting and I had a pounding headache. And I mean, tell me anything worse than having a headache and vomiting at the same time. It's awful. And I quite literally had that conversation with the higher power. And I said, I said, and, and by the way, I was no kind of alcoholic. I had no issue with alcohol. I barely ever drank. I just did this one night and I, I, I made the deal with God. I said, if you just help me to feel a little better, I'll never drink again. It's been 30 years. I never drank again. Wow. Wow. Gosh. Well, that's amazing. I'm sure a lot of people listening thinking, well, how do I, how do we do that? So tell us a little bit more about how the WildFit program works, because I know you have a big community, don't you, of people? Yeah, we've had now over 50,000 people in 100 plus countries around the world go through the program. And we've and, and what's really interesting is it's not a weight loss program. It just happens to be the most successful weight loss program ever. But when I say it's not a weight loss program, the truth is, is that weight gain or loss is a matter of having a healthy lifestyle. When, when people have a healthy metabolism, their body will go to the ideal weight for, for their lifestyle. And so we've had some 50,000 people do this program. And of course, we've now helped people literally lose millions of pounds of, of weight around the, the, we've turned around countless cases of diabetes. In fact, I have a book coming out later this year called Post-Diabetic because we have all these clients that would be diabetic and then they'd go see their doctor and their doctor would say, oh, now you're pre-diabetic. No, you're not. Pre means before. Pre indicates a trajectory. Pre suggests you're on your way. No, if you have the same blood numbers as somebody who's pre-diabetic, but you are trending in the other direction, you are post-diabetic. And so I, I have the great privilege of receiving literally every day messages from people who have completely turned around their health. We, we have, I, I was calculating the other day for a book I'm working on. We have saved, we have cost the pharmaceutical industry millions of dollars by getting people off prescription medication and over-the-counter drugs by, and, and unnecessary supplements by helping them change the relationship with food. But to tell you how we do it, it's better to start off by telling you how we don't do it. We, we don't do it like this. Here are the rules. Now grit your teeth and follow them. <laughs> Which is how every diet on earth works. And um, by the way, doesn't work. That's why they don't work. And we have an expression at WildFit, and that is that, that people don't fail diets. Diets fail people. That's the problem, the construct. So in, in WildFit, we go through a very carefully staged process of exercises on a weekly basis that, that cause changes to your nutritional intake and changes to your psychology on an incremental basis so that each week you're getting progress. Remember I talked about this before. If you want somebody to stick with something, you have to show them progress. When we ask our clients at the end of the first two weeks, we ask them this. At the end of the first two weeks, we say, how many of you, if the program were to finish right now, 
feel that your relationship with food has been permanently altered and it's 80%, 80% after two weeks. That's called progress. Now, if you feel like that after two weeks, you're sticking with it, right? Like that's the deal. And so they do. And that's because we are going through this very carefully constructed process. I've been doing this for over 10 years. And by the way, my initial interest in food and stuff started like 30 years ago, around about the same time I stopped having alcohol. I really started, by the way, I have no judgment against alcohol. Many of our clients make the choice to upgrade their relationship with alcohol to make it healthy. I think you can have a healthy relationship with alcohol. I think sometimes when I say I don't drink, people are like, I'm not doing that wild fit thing, man. I have to quit drinking. Not at all. But around that time in my life, when I started taking a look at food, what was fascinating to me was I turned my health around so dramatically, people looked at me and said, what have you done? How can I do that? And then I would give them the rules and it wouldn't work. And so I spent, I went into a deep dive on trying to understand uh, both our internal food psychology and then also the way the food uh, industry manipulates us and trying to unlock those things. And as a result of that, created this step-by-step process. So I'll tell you right now, people will show up on week one of WildFit and they will fall into three categories. Some people will be annoyed immediately. They'll feel annoyed. But what? This is that what? And then other people will be relieved. They're like, oh, thank God it's not at this other thing. And then the, the majority of people will just be confused. They're like, this? you want me to do what? And that will create a level of intrigue. And what will happen is, is that uh, in the first two weeks, they go through daily videos, very short daily videos that guide them through specific consciousnesses, really activate their awareness and, and get them thinking about certain things. By the end of that two weeks, they have a completely different psychology about food. And then they begin a process of nutritional upgrade. But again, not because we slam them with a bunch of rules that they have to willpower their way through, because we incrementally work to help them change their relationship with food. And as a consequence, realign their metabolism. Here's a crazy thing. It's an absolutely crazy thing. But if you see somebody who is overweight, let's say, and, and by the way, I want to be really clear. If anybody listening is, you know, overweight or you have a lifestyle disease, I want you to know something. And I I really want you to hear me about this. It's not your fault. I don't care what anybody's told you. It's not your fault. I I don't care what the food industry said. They said that it is your fault. The food industry said, if you just moved a little more, you could retain, you know, you could burn off the calories. By the way, they, they developed that exact idea to sell more food. It was a soft drink company. They, they came up with this idea that if you did more exercise and that's when they started sponsoring all the sports to say, if you did sports, you could, but you know, what's crazy. The people that, that wear their logos and do professional sports and stuff, don't drink their product. It's a complete lie. And so I just want you to know, it's not at all your fault. That's the good news. The bad news is it is your responsibility to do something about it. Nobody else is going to take responsibility for it. So now you kind of have to. And so what we do is help people to do that, to take responsibility for it. And here's the crazy thing. If you or somebody you know is overweight, have you noticed that they very often are lacking in energy or they have energy, but in bursts, you know, then they suddenly don't. What's crazy is, is they have hundreds of thousands of calories of energy locked inside their bodies. That's what they have. And by helping people reset their metabolism, we show them a much more efficient system of energy generation, which is where ultra marathoning comes from. It's where endurance sports comes from. It's the knowledge that you don't have to be burning sugar as your primary fuel source. But as long as you are, then that's the four o'clock. You know, you guys uh, in the UK, five hour energy, right? You see those ads all the time, the five hour energy. 
you know what's a lot better than five hour energy? 24 hour energy. That's what I like. <laughs> I like that. I like, ha I like having a good, healthy metabolism. And by taking people step-by-step -step through the process, we help them to achieve that. By the end of 90 days, they have a completely different relationship with food. They, they have a completely different relationship with their own metabolism. They feel energy that they've never had before. And here's what's crazy. This is the biggest news of the year, in my opinion. Our clients report constantly and continually that they feel better. Now, hold on. I don't mean, yeah, of course they feel better in their body, less pain, and they, this disease is gone or whatever. That's fine. I'm not talking. I'm talking emotionally. I'm talking about clients come to us with long-term depression, even suicidal thoughts, all the like crazy stuff. And at the end of it, like this one client, this one client was like, I went to go see my doctor because I didn't feel right. It reminded me, anyway, the, the, I didn't feel, well, tell me how you're feeling. Well, I just, I feel like this and I feel like that. And I don't know if maybe there's something wrong with my meds. And then the doctor says, you know, I, I think maybe... I think maybe you're experiencing happiness. <laughs> so maybe, we should, maybe we should take you down off your meds for a while. And that is a major, major um, positive side effect of getting a great relationship with food. Yeah. And I think if you, I mean, I know you work with some incredibly successful people at the top of their game, Eric. And I think that's one of the secrets of, of being able to unlock more potential from your life, not just happiness, but, you know, a ability to focus on maybe your career or getting the most out of life. I think one thing I've definitely noticed is that health and well-being comes top of that list. You know, Sarah, we have this thing in our heads that you might call a decision engine. It's the part of the brain that helps you make decisions. And we've all been at that place where that engine is tired. We made it, maybe didn't know that, but we've all done that. You know, you come home at the end of the day, you turn to your partner or your friends and go, what do you want for dinner? Oh, I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? Like nobody can make a simple decision about dinner. And some interesting research was done about this in the parole boards where, and this is really great advice. If you ever have to go for a parole, it's really important that you try and get your parole hearing scheduled as one of the first two hearings of the day or the one right after lunch, because statistically those people get granted parole far more regularly than the people who had the other slots. What's the difference? the people's minds, the people on the parole board, their minds were fresh. And when people's minds are fresh, they're more willing to take risks. When people's minds are tired, they will always take the safe choice. So that means that if you go for, if you're the last hearing right before lunch, when all their brains are tired, you're not getting parole. I don't care how light your crime was, how good you were in prison, you're staying because they are tired and they're going to take the safest decision. And the safest decision is to not let you be out there in the public. Now, let's make this more practical. Let's imagine that somebody has been through, say, a divorce. And, and I mention that because, of course, anybody who's been through a divorce has a degree of fear about dating, has a degree of fear about reconnecting with people and so on. Now, here's the trouble. And, and I can tell you this from my own experience that I had three relationships in a row with exactly the same risk profile. They, all three of my last girlfriends all came from the same country, all were accountants, and all had basically the same sort of emotional makeup. And I, have to, I had to really observe that, like what was going on for me that I didn't learn the first time, that I didn't learn the second time, I definitely learned the third time. Why? Well, one of the reasons I think is that it requires risk to date outside of your inclination. 
And the trouble is, if you date inside your inclination, you're just going to date the same people you dated before. <laughs> Good luck, right? But that means that, like, you 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 kind of have to be willing to, to to think bigger than you did before. You you meet somebody and you feel a little afraid because you're like, wow, it's unfamiliar. This person is this person's really easygoing, and I I'm usually with somebody that has say more structure or what have you. You have to date outside your inclination, but that's a risk. Now, if you're tired, if you're out of energy when you're making these decisions, then you're going to always choose the safest decision. And safe is not safe. That's the irony of the whole thing. And so if you, and, and by the way, this applies whether you want to start a business, if you want to quit your job and get a new job, it doesn't, if, whatever it is that you want to do, look, look, all fantastic, rewarding activities of life require some risk. If you don't have the energy, you won't take risks. If you don't take risks, you're going to live an incredibly moderate life. The key to having that energy is having the right fuel sources and the right nutrition in your body and the right relationship with food. Suddenly, you're not any kind of major risk taker. You're just somebody who can make good decisions. And you definitely need to be able to make good decisions when you're going through a, a divorce, when you're facing that paperwork, life-changing decisions. This is all really essential. So for people listening who are thinking, you know what, this sounds like it could really benefit me right now at this stage of my life. Where can they find out more about WildFit, Eric? Well, I, the best place to go is getwildfit.com and there's all kinds of information there, but we've also set up a discount code for your people. And so if they go to getwildfit.com slash Sarah, lowercase, all lowercase, getwildfit.com slash Sarah, then they'll get a 30% discount off the program and they'll get to join. And, and, and I know people are listening to this at different times and so on, but if you happen to be listening to this early in January, we have a big challenge coming up on January 24th and I'll personally be coaching it. So I hope I'll see you there. If you're listening to this later in the year, don't worry, follow the link. We'll take care of you one way or the other. That is amazing. Thank you, Eric. I have one last question for you that I ask all my guests on the podcast. Now, the podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I think it's really important to know what happiness is for you. So whether you're going through struggles with eating and food or whether that's your breakup and divorce, you can tap into it along the way. So what is happiness for you, Eric? I, I really believe that happiness is... Um... It's a combination of um, feeling safe and contented and um, respected and self-respected. And, and uh, it, it, it's a feeling of excitement and optimism. It's like when you wake up in the morning, and you're looking forward to the day. You're, you're going to bed at night and you're looking forward to your sleep, but you're also looking forward to the day ahead. Those are all in the big envelope that we, that we might call happiness. And I think that... Um, a really important thing for anybody going through the kind of stress that that comes with a divorce to remember is that there are there are, are um, two. You can take all the paths to happiness and put them in two categories. You can put them in shortcuts and you can put them in investments. And almost all shortcuts to happiness are bad. Cocaine is a shortcut to ha happiness, not ideal. Coca-Cola is a shortcut to happiness. Hell, they even say that in their slogan. It's a lie. It's not a shortcut to happiness. No food is a shortcut to actual long-term happiness. And one way to think of it is, is that, is this shortcut going to make me happy for days or minutes? And here's the deal. If it's going to make you happy for minutes, you may as well snort a line of cocaine because it's basically the same thing. But if it's going to make you happy for like days, here's a great example, going to the gym. 
not going to make you happy in the minutes, maybe, but it is going to make you happy in the hours and the days. And so wherever we can shift our focus to the long-term commitment to contentedness, to the long-term commitment to appreciation, gratitude, and happiness, that's where we're going to create the best upgrades of life. Every time we try to take a shortcut to distract us from our pain or a shortcut to some plastic version of happiness, the, there's going to be a bill to pay. And that bill stacks up with interest. It does. I love that. Shortcuts versus investments. I love it. Thank you, Eric. You are a total superstar. As always, highly entertaining. Thank you so much for being a fabulous guest. Hey, and thanks very much for having me. And by the way, thank you for the work you do. As mentioned, I, having gone through a, a divorce, having still kind of going through aspects of it now, I am really grateful that you are out there, that you've been there for me and that you're out there for people helping them navigate this stuff. Because it, you know, I know a lot of people feel inclined to try and do it on their own or try to do it with their lawyer. You know, no, community and a great, like in a sense, spirit guide, which is really how I see you in this space is absolutely necessary. So I'm glad that you felt called to do this and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm grateful that you do. Oh, thank you, Eric. You've been, been there for me too in lots of the tough times. So thank you. And once again, thanks for being a fabulous guest. That's it for today's episode. Do be sure to head on over to getwildfit.com forward slash Sarah, S-A-R-A, to get your discount for the Wildfit program. And I look forward to you joining me on my next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sara's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sara herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com where you can also get a copy of Sara's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness. Happiness.